Welcome everyone to Spirit Rock. So happy to see you this morning. So happy for the glorious day and Diana being here from Los Angeles, my hometown. I'd like to welcome you and first I always like to thank the volunteers. They're still outside greeting people, but um, they're all wearing name tags. And if you have any questions, you're welcome to ask a volunteer. If you'd like to volunteer for future events, you can ask them about them that as well. It's very fun. And then you become part of the Spirit Rock Sangha. So I have a couple of announcements this morning to make your day hopefully more comfortable. First of all, CEs. Several of you have continuing education credits today, so you should have signed in and received a survey. Is that sounding familiar? And uh, at the end of day, we'll take your survey and you'll sign out and we'll give you the certificate. So please do not forget to sign out at end of day. So you know the restrooms are at the far side of the building. We have a self-serve bookstore. We have tea and snacks um, offered for you outside. What else about outside? You can have lunch outside in the tea area. However, it's a beautiful day. So if you'd like to go outside in the meadow, there are picnic benches. You're welcome to eat here on the patio. I'm going to ask you a big favor, however. We have a two-month residential retreat up the hill. That means the people up there have not spoken in 46 days days, which is amazing. So you're welcome to walk up at lunchtime. Please feel free to visit the Gratitude Hut, which is right up to the left here. But when you get to the wood gate that says residential retreatants only, love for you to turn around and come back down because they will notice that you're not part of the group because after 45 days, they know. So, thank you for that. It's now time to turn off our cell phones, if you have a cell phone. If you would like an assisted hearing device, they're in the back. Um, lunchtime, I mentioned you can eat outside, which is so lovely. If you forgot your, if you're thinking, oops, I didn't bring a lunch, Woodacre Deli is across Sir Francis Drake, and I can give you directions to Woodacre Deli. There's another event upstairs today, so I'm going to ask you to stay down here. And if you could be mindful in the tea area and the lobby to keep your voice down, um, that would be lovely because it carries upstairs pretty quickly uh, or pretty easily. Um, Diana has a her books out in the tea area for you to peruse. They're available in the bookstore. It's a self-serve bookstore. As I mentioned, we don't charge tax, so that makes it very easy to figure out the math um, and their directions of how to check out in the bookstore. Okay, I think that's enough for right now. Have a really super lovely, wonderful day, and I'll see you at lunchtime. Thanks, Diana. Okay, well, I'm so happy to be here. It's I've never taught in this hall because I, I used to teach at Spirit Rock a lot and I don't know about a decade ago and then I moved to Los Angeles and then they built everything and here I am so it just feels really wonderful why don't we start with we did already start with the meditation but we'll start with another short short meditation just to kind of reconnect and um, and and approach the theme that we're doing here 
So if everybody find a seat and get comfortable, just a couple of minutes again to go inward and just arriving here in this beautiful place for a day of uncovering our natural awareness. And as you settle in, feeling your body present on the chair, Just noticing the weight of your body, the heaviness and pressure and warmth, coolness. Feeling your feet make connection with the floor. And your legs on the chair or the cushion. Feeling the heaviness and the holding, the holding, the support. Noticing our back against the chair. Softening your stomach area, letting it just soften and relax. Softening your hands, your arms, shoulders. face and facial muscles soft. And take a moment to reflect on what brought you here, why you chose to be at this day. Notice if you have any particular expectations. Maybe some concerns or things you're curious about. Notice what's happening for you. What brought me here? And then in the spirit of what the day is about, see if you can recall a time in your life where you felt at home, at ease, at peace, connected, interconnected, This could be anything. It doesn't have to be a big deal. It could have been taking a walk the other day in nature and really feeling part of the landscape or 
being with a good friend and feeling the deep connection and the love or in the midst of running or some athletic activity where you just are in that zone or even sitting with your dog. See if you can pick a time and if nothing comes to mind, just maybe something that's in that territory, close. Maybe this is when you were a child. Maybe this was just this week. See if you can think of the details. Where was I? What did it feel like? What could I see and hear? What was it like inside me? And let whatever the memory of this experience was, let this be here. Let whatever feeling that was present, let it kind of come into you, into your body, into your memory. Just rest in it for a moment. We're going to, um, I'll say a lot about what's happening in the day and such, but let's start by getting to know somebody nearby, maybe someone, a group of two or three, let's say three people that you did not come with, and just introduce yourself, and, and two things, just you know, introduce yourself and tell them why you're here, and then uh, maybe a, a little bit about what you, what you felt. You could talk about what the situation was that you remembered, but what did you feel, what... what what, how would you describe that qualities that I was kind of pointing to? What did you experience So, in that exercise? So just find a couple of people nearby. If you hate to do that kind of thing, you don't have to, just so you know. <laughs>
There's a lot of seeds. So I'd love to hear if you shares both what you brought you here and then what um, you know what when I had you evoke that memory what happened and I'm curious do we have mic runners or how does it work in this world okay great <laughs> thank you um, anybody willing to say either what it felt like to recall that memory or why you are here so there's somebody right okay. The women in green? Mm-hmm. Okay, ice cream cone. <laughs> um, I really liked that exercise because I was thinking of different things, positive, good experiences, and I remember a time that I actually was here. And I did come because I was in a my first retreat with you, up there. (laughs) And I don't know if this was the first or second one. I've only done two. But anyway, it had been raining and raining. And the sun finally came out. And I left the gate area and came down. It was early in the morning. And the sun was hitting and the steam was coming off the rooftops and sunlight hitting the raindrops. And you know how beautiful that is. And someone had taught the night before, like, let Mother Earth hold you. Feel held by Mother Earth. And I so was. And yes, the interconnected, the peace, you know, how you feel in a retreat, and just being here, everything. And I was alone. And and then it came to me. I was crying. I was feeling so, oh, you know, good. And then I realized, I can hold me. Not just being held by Mother Earth, but I too can hold myself, which was a big turnaround. But it felt good feeling Mother Earth hold me, and then I can Mother Earth myself also. Beautiful. So Thank it was you. kind of a very special time. <laughs> Thank Tell you. me your name again. Jean. Jean. Wonderful. Thank you. I love that. Hi. Um, I came for a couple of reasons. Um, one, because of you, Diana. Uh, I was here for a day long with you 11 years ago, which was very memorable. Yeah, it was the book. What bo- I do? <laughs> well, okay, I was, I was telling my partner here of the moment that uh, it, 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 it remains in print because it was a Bodhisattva dedication day. So you and someone else had us gave us printed vows, yeah, which we signed and dated, and I have it framed it at my home. So, yeah, <laughs> I look at it from more, I wish I looked at it more often, um, but it really means, it's very good. Um, but also the, the title of your talk today, I was, you know, thinking about it during the week, and uh, can I push myself to get here on Sunday, get out of bed? I don't live that far away, but yeah, I knew I could. Um, so relaxed awareness, I'm curious to learn more about that, because I don't know about everybody else, but frankly, um, 
a fair amount of time awareness or let's say consciousness for me is a strain. Uh, you know, when you're when I'm going through a difficult emotional period or a tough day, just just being awake is it's tough. It's a strain. So I'm hoping for some help with that. Okay. Putting the yeah, thanks. Great, wonderful. Well welcome back. Anyone else want to say what brought them here or what happened when I had to recall a memory? Mm-hmm. Hi, good morning. Um, I'm here because I feel as if my practice is moving into that space of awareness of awareness. You know, I've been meditating for many years and, uh, you know, the two types, the focused and the open awareness. And, um, you know, I, I'm assuming the, um, I don't call it the assignment, but the thing you asked us to do was a way of a, approaching the awareness of awareness. Um, so I'm here to learn more about that process. And the experience I had, first I was thinking of a camping experience and that I was camping and trees and all of that stuff. But suddenly a memory came back of uh, several years ago, I guess we had been going through a drought, which is very different than this winter. And um, I was sitting on the couch and it was kind of, uh, not raining, but a drizzly, grayish, not foggy, but just a beautiful experience. And I just sat there and I just felt uh, united with that experience, and when you said what was going on inside, well, it wasn't going. It was like the inside was outside, mm. and the outside was inside. Mm. So I thank you because I'd really forgotten about that. Oh, beautiful. Day. Yeah. Thank nice. You. Are other people here um, because they're sort of feeling like there's a point in their practice that they're really interested in this awareness of awareness piece, like you were just describing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Because that's what we're going to be doing. And yes, that was evocative of that. Um, so do you all want to sit together? Would that be nice to sit together? Let's see, how can we make it so they can sit together? Do you want to sit on the floor? Because there's plenty up here. There's plenty. You don't even need to, unless you want to sit far away. That's fine too. Your choice. All right. However you want to do it. Good. Any other comments or sh- or descriptions of what you experienced? Let me ask a question. Could you come up with a memory of, of something? Yeah. Okay. And then when you evoked it, could you kind of feel how you felt at that time? Was it possible? Right. Our minds are pretty amazing. I mean, even like, you know, it's just, I just said a few words and it could shift your consciousness into a place where you felt more at ease, more connected, more, more sense of oneness, someone said. So this is the territory. I think we're good. I think that's good. Thank you. Um, oh, so, so this is the territory that we're going to be covering today. And I'm going to give you a lot of explanation about it in a moment. First, I want to say there are four people here who went through my teacher training program or are currently going through. I want you guys to meet each other. So I'm going to make you like raise your hand right now so you'll see each other. Oh, four, oh, oh five. Sorry. So Mary and Forrest and Vadan and V and Jesse. So you guys please beat each other. They're all from different years, so that's fun. Okay. Um, so, okay. 
And then, the, so logistically, we're gonna we're gonna do stuff this morning. We'll have a lunch break somewhere around twelve forty-five. Um, I will be back at one thirty if you want your book signed. If you have purchased a book, um, and um, so I'll do like a little tiny book signing thing at that point at one thirty. I'll remind you again, and then after lunch we'll go back into the the program as it is. I've been teaching. I'll, I'm going to go. I'm going to do a lot more explanation of what I call natural awareness in a little while. But before we do that, I want to spend some time getting our attention focused, and I'm going to show you why. And I'm going to because there's different ways. I think you know this of being aware. There are different ways of being aware. We can think of cam- a camera, the way a camera can take a photo with a telephoto lens. And it's very precise, and it's very, you know, it's, it's extremely circumscribed what a camera is so, um, noticing, or cameras don't notice, but what you notice when you look at that photograph. You can take a photograph that's very natural, just like just a photograph of your friend, or you can take a photograph with a panoramic lens, in which case it's much more open. Now, is one photograph better than the other photograph? Of course not. They're just different ways of taking a photograph. We can have our attention can work in similar ways. Our attention can work in a very focused way, narrowed way. It can be sort of just a noticing what is, or we can have a wide open, spacious kind of awareness. And the book is about that territory. It's about the what, what I say that, so it's expansive, spacious, that, that territory. It's also in that territory, it's effortless. So over here with the telephoto lens, we're often putting a lot of effort. And probably many of us, when we start meditating, we have to put in a lot of effort because our minds are really wild and we need to learn how to rein in the wild mind. But in this end of it, of the of it, it's fairly effortless. You don't have to work so hard. So that's good news. Someone mentioned feeling constrained, like it's ugh, it's constrained, right? This is it's it's a much more relaxed way of practicing. And it's finally the third one I'll mention is it's an objectless way of practicing. What does that mean? Objects of meditation, or whatever you're noticing, your breath the sound, your emotion, your thought. That's your object of meditation. And this end, it's objectless, meaning you're aware of awareness itself. And I'm going to talk about this a lot during the day and try to make it as simple as I can. Um, but that, that's, what, that's one of the re- ways we can, we can define this territory that we're going to be exploring here. It's, it's expansive, it's um, it's uh, effortless and it's objectless. Okay, and in order to now, I'm going to give you a very clear illustration of what that means by doing an exercise. And in order to do this exercise, oh, oh, let me say one more thing. Most of us tend to practice on this end of the spectrum, this end kind of through here, right? Like this is what's taught in the you know I'm in the mindfulness field as opposed more of like Buddhism. My training is in Buddhism. By the way, I'm Diana Winston. Hi. <laughs> nice to meet you all. I'm the Director of Mindfulness at UCLA at our Mindful Awareness Research Center, where I've been the last 12 years. I'm also on the Teacher's Council at Spirit Rock, and I've been on it since 2006. But I don't um, 
teach her that often because I live in Los Angeles and because nine years ago I had a baby who's now nine. And um, so I stopped a lot of my teaching in the Bay Area because I didn't want to travel. But now she's getting older. I can leave her and see you. And, um, <laughs> and come back to Spirit Rock more, which is really fun to do. Um, so, so I got interested, I, I was noticing that in the mindfulness world where I teach and kind of like secular, secular world and in the Buddhist world, there's a big emphasis on bring your attention back to the breath, come back, come back, notice this, notice that. But there's also this whole beautiful territory, which many of you have experienced in your meditation practice that I was really interested in defining and and t- figuring out how to talk about and not talk about in a way that was esoteric or advanced or you had to have like special powers in order to access awareness of awareness. Like, no, that is just part of what I call the spectrum of awareness practices. You can practice with a telephoto lens, you can practice with a, you know, a, just a kind of basic lens, I don't know what you call that, or you can practice with a, te- with a panoramic lens. No one way is better than the other. They're just different. And we can learn to use them in different ways at different times to use our, to, for our, the sake of our practice. So we can, sometimes we really need to be narrow. Sometimes it's really beneficial to be wide. So now, back to my demo. Um, can I have a, like three volunteers? Anyone willing to volunteer? Okay, you have to get up on stage with me. That's the one thing. You have to get up on stage and you kind of have to dance a little bit or move. (laughs) Now you're like reconsidering. Or just move. You can stand, you can move. You can just go like that or something. I don't care. But you need to stand up here with me and do something physical with your body. Okay, Sheridan. Hi, nice to see you. Come on, on, you have to do it. (laughs) And you, just right up here so everybody can see you. Come on up. No, stay separate away. Okay, and away from each other. And you're allowed to move off the thing. Maybe you, you can move around. We can have... That's probably good enough. Okay. So, this is the demo. Most of you are familiar. Everybody has here... They has, have a meditation practice, right? You all have a meditation practice. Okay. So, we talk a lot about an anchor in meditation. We all have an anchor. Um, an anchor is that which we always return to in meditation. So, most, for most people, it's their breathing. For some people, it's listening. For some people, it might be body sensations. When you're doing walking meditation, what's your anchor? Feet, right, okay. So I'm your anchor now. Hi, I'm your anchor. Um, And I'm going to show you different ways of being aware along this spectrum. And um, so... They're gonna, I'm gonna ask them to just move around and do things and be, you guys are objects, you're meditation objects. There are thoughts and sounds and emotions and they're doing, and they're moving and changing. For the first demo, you're going to keep your attention on your, on the anchor, which is me. And I'm gonna move a little bit because your breath doesn't stay still, right? Your breath doesn't stay still, your breath moves. So you, I want you to keep your attention on me. If they're so distracting that your attention wanders off, then just come back to me, okay? You just get pulled away, just notice me, all right? So here's the first demo. Yeah, you can move and walk around and do stuff. But stay, stay, wait, hold on, stay like sort of here so they're not too, they don't have to look too far away. But yeah, you can go down there if you want. All right, ready? This is the first one. One, two, three, go. Okay, so everybody just keep your attention on your anchor. And there are other things happening, but that's okay. Just mostly, if you get distracted, come back. 
I'm just your anchor. I'm, I'm your breath. Falling. Okay, stop. Stop. Thank you. And don't. You're not leaving. This is. That's just one. <laughs> you don't have to freeze, though. <laughs> but you could if you want to. Okay. All right. So, um, was that fairly obvious in what it was analogous to? Right. Okay. So now we're going to do another kind of awareness. And so let's see if you recognize this one. Focus on me. I'm your, still your anchor. When you get drawn into something, you can notice them for a little while. Pay attention. Oh, what is that? What are they doing? Okay, all right, now back to the anchor. So it's not that rigid, like, come right back. It's a little bit more um, investigative. You can investigate, but still come back to your anchor. Here we go. Ready and go. Don't forget, just come back to your anchor, but you can investigate. stop. Okay, do you recognize that one? You're meditating. You have a a sound pulls you away. You listen to the sound. You've listened to the whole thing. And then you come back to your anchor. An emotion comes up. You feel the emotion. Um, You notice your stay with the emotion and then it changes and shifts. Then you go back to your anchor. Okay, now we're going to do number three. This is choiceless awareness. Okay, some of you are familiar with this, right? This time, you're going to do your strange things. Feel free to be as weird as you want. <laughs> and, um, and just let your attention go to whatever it gets drawn. Don't worry about your anchor. Drop your anchor. Oh, she's doing something. Pay attention to her. They're doing something. Go, go, go. So it's when our attention just gets pulled into things and we're not you know, so necessarily deliberate about it, but you, you're moving your attention. Do you understand? You know, and it makes sense? Okay. Ready, and here goes. And stop. Okay. Do you see what happened? You could go from... Now, this happens in meditation, right? It's called choiceless awareness. It's where you find your attention. You don't necessarily stay on your anchor. You might, you might take a breath or two, but you can go around. Were you able to do it fairly easily? Okay. All right, last one. The last one is what I'm saying is similar to natural awareness. So this time, we're going to do it one more time, so hang in here with me. Thank you. Um, we're going to do, the, do it again, and the invitation is to settle back, 
All right, let's just start moving and I'll give you, I'll do it while we're doing. So start moving. Go ahead. Start moving. And settle back and see if you can take in all of it without being specific about the objects, but just like you're looking at a scene, like you're out the window. You're able to see everything all at once, but without working hard to do it. Soften, relax. Just let yourself take in everything. might also notice the space around everything. It's all happening. Everything is happening on its own. And you're just aware. Could you do that one? See the difference? That's the territory we're going to. Awareness, awareness. But it's natural part of how we can be aware. Thank you so much. Yay! You guys were awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I, I created this, uh, this little thing when I was teaching a bunch of college students and I was like trying to come up with something that would really, really show it and then what I was talking about and here it is. So, you see, the, see how the ways of being aware are di- and and are, are different. The experience is the same, but we can notice things in different ways along a spectrum of these parameters, from narrow to expansive, from effortful to effortless, from object based to objectless. When you did that, you weren't focusing on the individual objects. You were just kind of taking in the whole deal. Am I right? Okay, that's, this is natural awareness. This is the territory I call natural awareness. Yes? Um, is it almost like the difference at which level you let your mind be engaged? At the beginning, the more focused ones, I feel like my mind was being triggered to like define what people were doing or Mm-hmm. what they were doing versus in the end you know it was it was just hazier and it was just sort of but my mind wasn't really defining or engaging um, so uh, just just to repeat uh, she's asking whether it had to do with how her mind was defining the experience it was very defined on, on, in the beginning and more hazy towards the end so the answer is yes, that when our awareness is very focused, it brings a quality of clarity and precision to the noticing. When we have a spacious, open awareness, it's way less defined. It's way more, for mo- most of the time, it's because, because it's not, you're not noticing with precision the objects. You're noticing, you're more connected to the awareness itself and the fact that objects are happening within it. Yeah, so that's right. Mm-hmm. So, question, are the first two having more effort? Yeah, yeah, there's more effort there, for sure. Um, and then the far and further, the further you go, the less effort you make. 
Yeah. Except you make a little effort to keep connecting with it. You know what I mean? It's a little tricky here, but we'll get there. Okay. So this was my, um, this was my, this is an important part of my book, what I call this spectrum of awareness. And we're going to, to now do a little bit of practice on the focused awareness end of things. And the reason is that it's often easier to practice natural awareness when your mind is calm and focused for obvious reasons, right? There's more, there's more, um, clarity, there's more stability of mind, there might be more ease of mind, so that we can then go into the natural awareness practices. So what I want to do now is take the first, take, take about 25 minutes or so, 20 minutes, and do a basic, our basic focused awareness practice, basic mindfulness. So we'll really stay on this end of the spectrum. We'll be mostly staying with our breathing, our attention wanders, we come back, and then, but you know, also you can bring in the investigating a little bit Two, and I'll, I'll do it, it'll be guided. And we'll do a sitting meditation and then I'll go out and do a walking meditation also in a very focused way. Keeping your attention on your feet. I'll talk you through the whole thing and then come back. And this will give us the kind of foundation to do the moving into the natural awareness practices. Okay? Any questions about anything I've said so far? Any, anything else? All right, so why don't we begin? When, if you want to sit on the floor, you can do it. If you, however you want to be. So we can just settle into a comfortable posture. Using our breath to settle our body and mind. And at this point, you probably have your chosen anchor for meditation, which could be your breath. Most people, it tends to be their breathing in your abdomen or chest or nose. Some people, their anchor is listening to sounds. There are some people even who use the sensation in their hands or feet. But at this point you know what works for you. So I just encourage you to gently come to rest in your, in your anchor, your home base, your main focus. 
We'll begin that simple process of staying with our breathing, with us listening, just the natural breath, feeling it coming and going. or listening to the sounds coming and going. Allowing our bodies and minds to settle. When you practice in this way, your mind can calm. Doesn't always, but it can find calm stability gathers the mind can lead to clarity and we know that when our attention wanders there'll be that moment of being lost in thought and then you'll kind of realize it you can say a soft word like thinking or wandering and say that softly in your mind and then redirect attention back to your main focus. Some of you may use words, some of you may not, but either way it's the same principle. We're with our, our anchor, we get lost in thought, we notice it, we come back. So just for this meditation, stay in that familiar territory. Take some effort. There's nothing wrong with effort. Effort is great. It's helpful. You can bring a real precision to the noticing. The beginning and middle and end of each breath.
I will say that this is the general instruction for this meditation of trying to stay in that focused awareness category. Sometimes our minds don't really want to do that and they're doing something else that you might be able to identify from that spectrum I just gave you. Oh, I'm sort of doing a more choiceless awareness or I'm really needing to investigate this ache in my body. So just do it with awareness, knowing what you're doing. And ultimately come back to your main focus.
So we'll keep meditating for a little bit longer, but I just want you to notice those parameters I was talking about. Are you making effort to focus? So just notice, is there a, what does it feel like? Is there a feeling of effort? Do you notice I'm trying hard? Not to judge yourself, but just to notice, okay, in order to keep my attention on my breathing, it takes some effort. It's natural. It's completely normal. You can notice that your attention is narrowed. Now, some of you may be doing the sound practice, in which case your attention is not narrowed, but you're still making effort to deliberately Notice the sounds. And then, of course, you're placing your attention on a meditation object, which is your breathing or the sounds. And there's a lot of precision here. And my encouragement is to really to be as precise as you can. Really staying with the nuances of your breathing. But don't push it or force it. Bring kindness to the process. A little bit longer.
In a moment, we're going to transition to walking meditation. So I want to give you the instructions for it here. That is, we will, um, you can go, you can stay in the hall, you can go somewhere um, in the building, or of course it's a beautiful day. You're welcome to go outside. And... We'll keep this time silent and I encourage you just to find a spot as you've done in the past, 10 to 15 feet distance and just kind of walk back and forth. There's different paces you can walk at. You can walk very, very slowly. You can walk a medium pace or you can walk at a more natural pace. In all of the cases, you are focusing, and so we're going to stay with the spirit of focused awareness practice. We're going to stay with a very narrow telephoto lens, keeping our attention on the sensations of our feet and legs. From the hips down, usually calves, ankles, feet, sole of your feet, noticing all of the sensations as you walk, the stretching and the placing and the heaviness and the lightness and the movement and I think you know the routine. When your attention gets drawn away, see if you can bring it right back. And this is not to say you can't look out and enjoy the day and so forth, but But for the most part, just because we're really trying to understand the differences of ways of being aware, like kind of keep this as your your goal during this particular walking period to stay focused. And also notice I'm making effort here. Look at the effort. It's narrow. I'm focusing on these sensations. Okay. So we'll transition out of here and we'll let's say 20 minutes and can I have a bell ring in 20 minutes and be back here in 25 minutes and I'll ring the bell for the end of the sitting I have a bell ringer. Is somebody doing that? 
V. <laughs> Thanks.
We're good? Yeah, okay. So uh, one thing to say, I'm not going to do like official breaks, so just if you need to use the restroom, do it. <laughs> just go out and or during some, the walking meditation time. is. But now would be a good time if you needed to. Um, what I wanted to see if there are any questions about our basic practice and you know essentially in how it relates to what I've been talking about or any general questions about basic sitting and walking Um, and and also did you observe the way you made effort did you observe those different parameters I was talking about and what did you notice if so One thing I noticed and struggle with is a thought will, I'll start following a thought and then I just keep following it and following it and following it and it Mm -hmm. seems like forever. Mm -hmm. Um, So eventually I do come back to my anchor, but I don't know how concerned I should be about how long it takes me to do that. Mm -hmm. It just means you're normal. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's what happens. You know, you're... You're trying to stay with a step, 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 and then, oh, I forgot to buy such and such. They're going to be out of it in the store. What do I do? I'm never... Right, and then your mind just goes. And then at a certain point, it could be 10 minutes down the road, you realize it, and then, okay, come on back. This is not... I mean, this is, this is what our minds do. And some of you have had the experience that as you practice over time, you come back quicker, not always, but you do come back quicker. You catch yourself faster. You, um, there's, if for, if for those of you who've done retreat practice, you know that when you practice mindfulness in a concentrated way over you know, a retreat experience, the concentration builds, and so that wandering mind doesn't happen as you know, strongly as it does just in the middle of the day kind of practice. Um, but it's, it's not a problem. And what I want to say is, in light of the natural awareness practice that we're going to do today, let's see what happens with your thoughts. Because, because we're going to be... Thoughts are not a problem. In natural awareness practice, it's not like, oh, we've got to stop the thoughts so I can go back to being in natural awareness. Natural awareness is just this invitation. It, 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 like Thoughts are happening and we're just present with it. And we can ha- be aware in the midst of thought. So let's look at the different ways we relate to it. Yeah. You had something? Um, the, the walking meditation is talking about effort is interesting because there's like two efforts that I find I have to make to focus on the walking. One is to get back from my thoughts to the walking, but also from the just the perception of what's around me. My eyes are open, my ears are open. So it's sort of like uh, extra effort. Yeah, yeah. it's different anyway. It's different than the effort of sitting meditation. That's true. And if you were to have done it, say, in the hall, it's a little bit less distracting. You don't have to add that extra effort. But you're right, there is a lot to do. I mean, one of the things that the walking meditation... That's a that's a that's a deliberate focused awareness practice like we were doing is really helpful for some people for you know just calming our minds and 
it's sometimes it's kind of like, wait, it's so beautiful out. Do I just ignore everything? And when my mind is actually really drawn to those things. And what I typically say is you can just stop and enjoy and take a look and then go back into it. So it doesn't feel like your intention with it all the time. So that's one way to practice with that, that issue of effort. Later on, we're going to do a open meditation practice with walking where you just, no rules. You know, you can just... See what, where your mind is drawn. Okay, so we'll do that later. Mm-hmm. Behind, yeah. Could you say a little more about the difference between choiceless awareness and natural awareness? Mm-hmm. Because it seems in choiceless awareness, you're not using much effort. Mm-hmm. Right. So because it's a spectrum, and this this end, I wish I had a like a chart I could bring, but anyway. This end is effortful and it gets slowly less effortful until completely effortless. And this end. So choiceless awareness is towards that effortless end. So oftentimes people experience choiceless and it's like, oh, I'm just noticing this and noticing this and I'm not really working at noticing it. So that's why I like, I like it. Sometimes I'll teach. I may do it today. I'll see. But sometimes I'll have us we'll do focused awareness, then we'll do what I call investigative awareness, then choiceless, then natural, and they kind of like slide into each other, basically. But it, it is what you're pointing to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you have two thoughts at the same time? Uh, as I was meditating, I noticed that some thoughts pass by, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I also noticed that I was still anchored. Uh, in my breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a common thing that when we're doing a focused awareness practice that we're, we're, we're with our, well, you're saying you were doing your breath as you were doing the walking. That's one way to do it. Or you're with your feet and yet thoughts are happening and somehow they're kind of more in the background. Yeah, it, absolutely. That's what, it, what the experience is. I think technically in like some Buddhist literature, they say you cannot, you can only have one thing happening at every single moment. And if you are experiencing it as together, then it's like alternating sort of. But from a subjective perspective, it's more like you were just describing, like you're with, you're mostly with your anchor and then there are things happening in the background. Um, okay, great. So what I want to do now is I want to I kind of explain this territory of natural awareness and why we want to practice it if we do and what, what, is, what is useful about it. Um, when I first, this is a story that I tell in my book, when I, when I was about 14 years old, I was working... Um, as a mother's helper, chasing these children around. And I was kind of having this, like, these hectic days, and it was out in a beach area in Cape Cod in Massachusetts. And I remember, like, I didn't get a lot of downtime at all. And there was this one night when the kids were asleep, and I went outside into the, and lay down on the grass. And I lay there on the grass, and it was night, it was, as I said, it was night, and I looked up at the sky, and I suddenly had this like overwhelming sense of love and connection. And it was like, boom, it just hit me. And I was so surprised because I wasn't doing anything in particular. I was just relaxing, you know. 
And it was, I remember just sitting there under and like looking up the stars and the stars seemed so vast and I felt part of it. And as I said, this feeling of love came over me and then I thought, I don't believe this. I'm going to test this. Let me think, who do I hate? There must be someone I hate. And there was this boy who was like an older brother of my friend who used to really tease me and I thought I brought him to mind and I couldn't hate him. I loved him too. And I was like, what? It was just such a kind of beautiful but shock to me in a way. And, um, And I lay there in this state for a while and then ultimately went to bed. And that memory has stayed with me my whole life. So I was 14 years old. It was a long time ago. And I think in some ways part of my own spiritual journey was like, can you have that more often? Is that, is that accessible to me? And as I've practiced now, and I've been meditating for about 30 years, I've seen, and I've been teaching a long time, what I've seen is that most people have had experiences like that. Where as a child, or you don't have to have been a child, often children, because children seem to, like it's very permeable, their consciousness is very permeable, but, but people have had experiences where they feel connected, peace, at ease, compassion. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like a big explosion, like it kind of was in my story, but we have tastes and glimmers and whispers of it all the time. And I asked you in the beginning to, at the very beginning of the day, I said, can you come up with something? And most of you, I think, were able to do that. Because of that, my sense is that this quality of being, this being present, is a natural human capacity that every single one of us have, has access to. It's part of what it means to be human. And what then happens, of course, is we like, you know, we grow up, we go through our traumatic experiences, we get educated, we lose touch with it. But kids are so in a certain place. I remember when my daughter was little and I would just if I could meet her where she was, like I would enter a place of connection and, and joy just right in that space where she was kind of living. And, um, and so natural awareness, like I said, it's not some, even though it's often presented in certain religious traditions as this like esoteric high practice, I think it's just what it means to be human, that we all can, can, access place of profound well-being and that it's within us already. So um, so the way that I define natural awareness is I define it as a free-flowing, expansive mindfulness, let's just call it that, where one feels generally aware and awake and present. Um, it may arise spontaneously or through practice and people often experience it as, um, as as I said, effortless, objectless, awareness of awareness. Now, as I say that, I know immediately I say, the, I say awareness of awareness and people's eyes start to glaze over because they're like, what does that mean, awareness of awareness? And there are different ways of understanding awareness of awareness. One, I'll tell you a couple different ways. Sometimes we experience awareness of awareness when we... Um, when you notice that in which everything is contained, okay? Like, um, like 
like when I was having you look at all the different people and then I had you settle back and just kind of notice the space around them, oftentimes that's how people experience awareness of awareness. We'll go back to over this, but I'm just going to give you a little preview. Um, sometimes people experience awareness of awareness when they notice the knower. Like there's that moment of noticing the knower. And then sometimes people experience awareness of awareness as thing, it just is. Like awareness, there's an isness of that, a a, a presence. It's just like I'm aware. There's awareness and I can't stop being aware almost. You're all aware. Like awareness is happening all the time. I was just visiting with, um, (laughs) I was visiting with Eugene Cash, some of you know him, and he's like, you stole my exercise because, but I'm going to do the exercise right now. He looked at my book. He said, this was my exercise. So I'm, perf- I'm sure that I probably did steal it from him. But um, right now, for the next 20 seconds, do not be aware. Whatever you do, promise me, do not be aware. One, two, three, go. Don't be aware. Could you do it? I always love when someone challenges me. So anyone want to challenge me that they could they could do it? You can't. It's impossible because awareness is already here. It's happening. It's present all the time. Awareness of awareness involves being aware of that. Aware that you are aware. So we're aware all the time, but it doesn't mean we're aware that we're aware. Okay, this is when we start to get a little... It gets a little complex, but we're not like so. My, like my dog, I always I just got this new dog, and um, he's a rescue, and he's so sweet. He has a few problems, but he's mostly really sweet. <laughs> like arr, little kids, but anyway, um, he's he's in. Doesn't I mean animals? They're kind of like in this place of of I don't know, just like of isness, right? They're like, when you look at a dog and they're just in that, oh, I'm, I think I'm completely in love with my dog and I'll try not to talk about him the whole day. But, but anyways, um, he's not aware that he's aware. So I wouldn't say he's doing natural awareness practice. But he, ha- he, he has that kind of, the, those qualities that we all can also access. And we can, did anybody, when I had you reflect on something, did anyone think of a pet? Anyone call it? Yeah, or some people do. Yeah, that, I mean, because that's a place where people really settle into well-being when you're just like petting the dog or people talk about when they're with their horses or cats or, you know. So, so I'm going to give you an overview and we can get more, go back to being more specific. So ha- one of the other qualities of natural awareness is that it's, we're removed, when we're accessing natural awareness, we're not lost in our dramas. We're not lost in our stories. That sense of self, that me, me, me thing, is somewhat relaxed and often not even present. It can feel more transparent. Like thoughts are just coming and going and they're not so much my thoughts. They're just things. Life is happening and I'm, but it's not, I'm not the center of the drama universe essentially. And that's a beautiful quality of natural awareness. Now that of course can happen in regular mindfulness. And by the way, I'm going to now distinguish 
focused awareness practice by calling it deliberate mindfulness. Let's call it deliberate mindfulness. It means that you deliberately pay attention versus natural awareness where it's, it's more happening on its own. In my book, I do not call it that. In my book, I call it classical mindfulness. The problem with writing a book is it's a snapshot in time, and then your thinking evolves, and it's too late because it's in print. So if I could do it again, I would change it to deliberate awareness as opposed to class, uh, deliberate mindfulness as opposed to classical mindfulness. Okay, so, so my first point about natural awareness, we've all had tastes of it. We do have taste. Everyone, be, total meditation beginners, humans, we've maybe even dogs. I don't know. Have had tastes of natural awareness. It's, it's. I described. I, I sort of defined it a little with these qualities of expansiveness, objectless awareness of awareness, free flowing, spacious. I'm going to give you some more words to describe it. Um, and this is how some of the language comes from different. Uh, meditation text, but luminous, pristine, open, spacious, naked, naked awareness, expansive. Like these are words that are often used to describe this quality of mind that I'm talking about. It can be described in a very esoteric way. So I'm very influenced, my natural awareness um, teachings, I'm influenced by Tibetan Dzogchen practice. I'm influenced by Hindu Advaita Vedanta. I'm influenced by my insight meditation colleagues who have taught in this way. Um, And sometimes when it's taught connected to those religious practices, it's taught, in a, I think, in a way that kind of overcomplicates things. This is just my opinion. Where you have to do like 100,000 prostrations before you can even have like one second of of it. And And I really don't think it's that complicated. And you did it, like even anybody could have been there. You all have experience, but anybody could have done those four different ways of knowing and open to a more spacious way of knowing. So not that I'm not in any way dissing, <laughs> dissing the religious traditions. They're phenomenal, and they give us access to all sorts of profound states of consciousness and being. But I, because I believe so strongly that natural awareness is a quality, it's, a, it's just another way of being aware. And it's something that we can develop. Now, when we meditate with it, we can refine it, we can deepen it, we can strengthen it, we can make it last for longer periods of time. So there's a good reason there's a long meditative tradition around these types of practices. And at the same time, they're pretty straightforward. They're pretty like available to us. When one of the ways I like to talk about natural awareness is that it has different qualities and facets, almost like a diamond. So if you think of a diamond and you think of just turning the facet, each one is a different quality. And those qualities are, so, we, so in other words, we experience it really differently. Someone might experience my natural awareness as more joy. And another person, it's a different facet. It's more compassion. And for another, it's a sense of isness. And for another, it's equanimity. It's deep equanimity. And for another, it's it's um, just an ordinariness, a thisness or a suchness. It can feel transcendent. It can feel 
unbelievably mundane. It can feel ordinary. It can feel extraordinary. And each of us experience it in different ways at different times. So when I've practiced with this over time, sometimes it's very profound. Sometimes it's like a whisper, a glimmer, a glance. And so it goes in different, in different depths. Like you can have a taste of it. You can be like swimming in it. Right? It can go from that range of experience of accessing natural awareness. And what I want to pause here is say something, which is, well, I've taught these, I've taught, I've been teaching about natural awareness for the past couple of years, and people will always say to me, I'm experiencing something, is this it? The answer is, yes. Okay, I want you to hear that, yes. Because it's not like it's a formula and there is like a this that happens and when you get the this, then you got it, hooray. Mm -mm. It's very individual. And if you think you're in the territory, I'm going to say to you, you probably are in the territory. Maybe you're a little, like, it's like I'm close, I'm not exactly sure, but I think I'm, yeah, yeah, just yes, yes, yes. Because what happens is, you know, as we know with our meditation practice, the second we learn that there's something to get, then we start wanting that thing. And then, oh no, am I having this thing? I really, I heard that I can reach jhanas. And if I just do this hard enough, I'll get this jhana, blah, blah, blah. And then we just get in big trouble. So, so my, 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 like, I want us to approach natural awareness with ease, with joy, with play. In fact, a lot of what we're going to do the rest of the day is we're going to play with natural awareness. And I'm really serious about that. We're going to do like, well, you already did. We did a couple of natural awareness games. Don't be aware. And that little demo, that was a game. It was playful. Because I'm using all these beautiful terms for natural awareness, people often ask me, well, does that mean if you experience natural awareness that you're in a state of bliss or something all the time? And the answer is no. Um, some, one of the things I've seen is that natural awareness is a profoundly safe and uh, loving space. And when we can access it, oftentimes our material, like our, our psychological material can come up. Emotions can come up, strong emotions can come up because it's almost like it's so safe, like, all right, now I can look at it. And so sometimes it's hard, like you're in, you're experiencing, you're practicing, and then there's this, this like grief that arises. So what do you do? Do what you know what to do. Go back and practice with, use RAIN. Most of you know RAIN, recognize, allow, investigate, not identify with. Go back to deliberate mindfulness. Take a little break. Do all the things you know to work with things that are difficult. It's not a problem that it's arising. It's part of the human condition to have the whole array of emotions. And challenging emotions can arise in the midst of natural awareness. Hopefully, I mean, the best case scenario is our minds are vast, open, spacious, something challenging arises and it just dissolves back into the natural awareness. Or we recognize it as the natural awareness, which is super cool when that happens. Not always so easy to do. I do think that, as although I talk about it as anybody can access it and beginners can have the experience, I do think that having an established meditation practice is important. 
And that's why I wanted people with experience to be here, like not just beginners off the street. Because you know your mind some. You know the basics. You know the, the ter- like. And some of you may already be practicing in this way. And I'm just giving you a little bit more of a roadmap for the way that you're practicing. As I mentioned, the concentration stabilizes it so that it can, it can, it can become more, more fully fleshed out in a way. Um, one of the other things that I also like to point to is when people access natural awareness, sometimes they think like, I got something really good and now I'm done. Like, cool, that's it, got it, you know. And then I've even seen people, I, I resurrected a term from the 70s because I love it so much. The term is bliss ninny. Have you ever heard that? Bliss ninny. Um, meaning, you know, one of those people, oh, it's all good, everything, you know, I'm in peace and joy all the time. It's all, I know we're all interconnected. Please don't do that. Really, it's kind of yuck, right? It's, it's, um, accessing natural awareness doesn't deny our suffering, the suffering of the people we love, and the suffering of the planet. So this is not, you know, it would be insane to say, oh, I'm just resting my mind all day in natural awareness. Um, therefore, you know, I'm not, I don't care what's happening with climate change, or I don't care, you know, I mean, like, like that's not the point of this. And if that is what you take away, please, I, and I've taught you poorly, because it's really, it, it, it can give us a profound sense of well-being that we can access throughout the day. And I'm going to talk about this quite a bit in a moment. But it doesn't mean that we then, like, okay, it's all good. All right, so that's really important. It doesn't mean that we're not ethical. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. And, okay, and maybe the last thing that I want to say is that the way I talk about it in the book is the first, the first part is understanding it. The second part is meditating with it, how to access it through meditation. And the third part is how to bring it into daily life. And then I use these things that I call glimpse practices. I did not invent that. Gl- glimpse practices, which will give us a little taste if you practice it. And you can practice it in life. You can practice it in your meditation. And that helps you to just remember to bring you back to this place of resting in your sense of being. Because that's really what it is. It's just, it's just <sighs> coming home to ourselves. Now I want to tell a story about my life with this practice but before I do I want to see I just kind of give you an overview I want to see if you have any questions about anything I said and if you don't I'm psyched that I'm so clear <laughs> no, I'm kidding <laughs> I'm joking here yes yeah. uh, I don't know how to quite oh thank you I guess my question is is um, how unique is natural awareness like is that is this something that a lot of other people are aware of and talk about and integrate into their own practices? Or is it something that, that you've really come up with and are, are oh, wanting God, to no. share, <laughs> share with the world and no. that's, that's new to a lot of people? Okay, so thank you for asking. Um, this pra- these practices, as I mentioned, they're 
very aligned with Tibetan Dzogchen practice, Hindu Advaita Vedanta, some movements in the insight meditation world. So for those of you, um, like a lot of the Thai forest tradition is very similar to this. You'll, a lot of teachers teach this way. If you've sat with Guy Armstrong, if you sat with, there's a lot of different, different ways. I just, I just was, so my, my, my job, right? I don't teach in the Buddhist world. I teach, I teach mindfulness practices in the secular context. And so I was, so I was trying to figure out how to talk about this end of practice without the religion and the religious dogma. And so that's where I kind of arrived. I'm not the only one. Tara Brock calls it natural awareness. So we're all looking at this territory. This is just kind of my unique take on it, but it's really something that's right within the tradition and, um, and you know, often practiced. And uh, There's a bunch of retreats at Spirit Rock that are more like about this type of practice too. But we all talk about it differently, okay. you know. Yeah. You. I'm glad to ask. Thank you. Mm-hmm. How about the person in the front row, since you're right there? Thank you. I um, read Advaita Vedanta, and I'm also an engineer. Mm-hmm. So the awareness of awareness, I've hit upon an understanding, and I wanted to share. Okay. I was listening to an interview with um, Terry Gross. The person um, she was interviewing was an English neurosurgeon. And he was describing a surgery he did where the patient chose to observe it. Mm. And the patient was watching his own visual cortex on on the TV. Wow. So for me, that really was like the explanation of who's the watcher, who's the watched. Uh, So I just wanted to share that. That's great. That's so interesting. Thank you. I just wanted to comment about, you know, um, since I've been involved with Spirit Rock and the teachings, it seems to have been an evolution, so it started first with mindfulness, and then suddenly popped up awareness, <laughs> and so there was all these teachings on awareness, and now it seems to be awareness of awareness. So there seems to be an evolution <laughs> that goes on over time, and it just suddenly appears, the new turn in the corners of teachings. Yeah. It's a, it's a good observation. I've seen that too in my practice. Different flavors become the flavor of the month or year, right? And then on to something else. Yeah. Uh-huh. Someone in the back. Yeah. I have a question about terminology. Um, I've been practicing for thirty some years, mm-hmm. and I, I I love being in this space, but because my work requires extreme focus. It's really difficult to reach during the day, and I, I'm really happy to be here because this is what you help people with. But what sometimes helps me anchor into awareness of awareness is the term neutral, because when I'm observing from that space, I feel very neutral about whatever arises. There's no emotion that attaches to it, even observing my own emotion. It's a neutral space to observe from. But and I've often read the term witness observer. But my question is, is there a term that doesn't sound so cold? Mm. Because when I'm really focused at work and I think, oh, be be a neutral witness observer, it feels so academic. Right. That's such a good question. Um <sighs> impartial 
disentangled participation, which I stole from Ajahn Amro. He said he tells that I loved that one. Um, well, equanimity is kind of where you're pointing to. So some of those are. I'll keep thinking about it. That's a good question. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned that some people experience it as compassion, I wonder if in your teaching today you'll help us with wrestling with grief over what's happening in the outside world. Yeah. I heard an interview with the son of one of the victims. Um, mm. I can hardly say it. But sometimes, to me, um, mindfulness has to include the outside world and not just what's going on yeah. Yeah. in my inner world. Can you... Um, explain how we can weave in and out of that if that's mm-hmm. the intention. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, I mean, I, I always hold the context, and this goes back really to the Bodhisattva practices of 10 years ago, that every every moment of our meditation practice is deeply and intimately connected to our relationships and communities and jobs and and institutions that we're part of and that as we transform that gives us that transforms it it echoes out right so there's that basic understanding and then the work that we do in here prepares us to handle what's going on out there and to have more of that um the strength and equanimity to be out in the world in the face of this and it often opens people to compassion and compassionate action. So we'll do a little bit with it. I, I want to, I definitely, like, that spirit is so important. The spirit of, um, I mean, the suffering in the world these days is so profound. And it can feel very selfish, like, ooh, we're here at Spirit Rack having this great day on meditation when, when you know, horrible things are happening. And so we'll just keep kind of holding it and seeking and I'll I'll just keep it I'll keep it in my mind as I teach today and kind of anyway I'll keep I'll keep it at forefront okay and and we'll see how we get sometimes I don't plan everything out so we'll see what happens okay yeah so just to to conclude um my like overview of this I want to share with you the evolution of my own practice and then we'll do some practices together I um let me just think, because there's one other thing. Um, it, what I have found by doing this practice is the, the depth of connection that I can keep to myself and then to others has given me solace in the face of this suffering planet. And it gears me up to act. Like, I just, like, it makes me, because I don't, I'm, I'm less lost in my stuff and less terrified and less anxious. So there's a, the, so I, I feel like, the, my, the last chapter of my book is, is called Evolutionary Imperative. Like, we have to evolve. We have to see the interconnection so that we can help the, the suffering that's happening out there. So, anyway, that's just coming to me. Um, when I started practicing meditation, I was—I just left. I just finished college, and I was doing 
I, I found mindfulness. Well, first I started with a Tibetan practice in India and then went to Thailand and started doing my first mindfulness retreat. And this was like the late 80s. And I just fell in love with the practice. And within a year I was doing three-month retreats at Insight Meditation Society and was completely hooked into the beauty of this practice. And what was I doing at the time? Talk about the way things evolved. During that time, there was a teacher who was very influential who later became my teacher, which is his name is Sayadaw Pandita. He's a Burmese teacher. Anybody study with him or know him? Mm. You know of him. So, but he's he was he was the flavor of the year in like the eighties, <laughs> okay? And all this teacher, you know, and Joseph and Sharon and everybody, they were all studying with him. And he was has a very rigorous mindfulness practice, and it was all like, you know, the big joke that everyone always says is he would say to you things like. When you woke up, you'd say, did you wake up on the in-breath or the out-breath? Like you had to have that level of precision and knowing with the meditation practice. And, um, and so people would go study with him and he was really hardcore and he was not warm and fuzzy. And he was, he was just like, practice as if your hair is on fire. Mindfulness of every single moment, deliberate mindfulness. And I just, kind of fell for it like that that was like the right practice for me to be doing at a time and I hope you all know as kind of people have been practicing for some times your practice evolves like there's you get into this for a while and then you get into this and it just shifts and changes and that's really normal it's a normal it's everybody's journey is so different so I was really into his practice and then I decided that I wanted to go to Burma and ordain with him and really practice with him because I thought that if I practice with him under the conditions of the, um, you know, the way it was done historically, then I could get enlightened, hopefully within about three or four months. And, and then I would go on vacation or something. I mean, I had this like... These stories. So I'd been, so this is, so this is about 10 years into my practice that I decided to go to ordain and I, um, and I had been doing deliberate mindfulness. I'd been doing bringing my attention back to my breath, also choiceless awareness and thing, but not anything that is the natural awareness territory. Like that was foreign to me, not interested, didn't understand it. Um, and didn't even, I had been introduced a little bit, but it didn't make any sense to me. So I went to Burma. I went and I practiced with him and, um, you know, you walk in the door and you're like told to start practicing now and do not let a moment go by without being mindful. And you're pretty isolated and you're living in the forest. I was living, you, I was living in the forest in a little hut. And it was, I mean, I've, those of you have heard my stories, but there were snakes and spiders and scorpions and all sorts of fun things there. And it was hot and I hated the food and I was sick all the time. But I was like working really hard to bring my attention back to the present moment because I needed to be mindful every second. And I was there for a long time. And the fact is when you do run a marathon, you don't start by sprinting. And I was sprinting and I was I mean, because because I was driven, I was driven by this this need to get enlightened. And in the Theravada Buddhism, as many of you know, there's a very specific thing of what enlightenment is. It's like a there's a moment that if you are mindful, deliberately mindful enough, there'll be a moment, 
after you go through a number of stages and such, where something happens that's considered an, an entry point into awakening, right? And it's a very specific thing. And they can, they, like back in the old days, you may not know this, they used to give people certificates. I'm not kidding. <laughs> they stopped that because they realized that was idiotic. But, but, um, but like there would be this moment where your mind would open up. And so I was like, I'm waiting for that moment. And if I just meditate a little harder, then I'm going to get enlightened. And then everything's going to be great. And then my life's going to be good. And, you know, and it was, and I was like really driven. And, um, and so I worked and I worked and I would, and then I would start thinking, okay, how can I try harder? How can I bring more effort to my practice? And that's when I, maybe if I sleep less, maybe if I sleep sitting up, maybe if I eat less, maybe, you know, I kept trying to do it. And the fact is, they were encouraging this, you know. I mean, it's not like practicing a spirit rock where they're like, oh, the vegetarian wonderful food, uh, you know, go take a bath, whatever, whatever we do at spirit rock now. We're not that bad, but sometimes. Um, <laughs> but but it's, it was a very different context and culture, as you can imagine. And there's also the religious dogma. So this is another reason why it's such a gift to have spirit rock, because when you practice there, you're in the midst of religious ideology. And in that worldview, there's like, if you don't get enlightened, you'll go to hell. That's what they think. I know you, you don't hear this at Spirit Rock, so this is between you and me, just in case. Not that they're not extraordinary teachers teaching amazing things. I'm not saying that at all. But that is the worldview that is, is, um, is taught there. Or was taught at the center I was at by the teachers that I worked with. So here I am, working really hard, totally isolated, not talking. Can you say cult? Right? It's not a cult, but it has elements of cult, you know. And I'm working, working really hard, trying to get enlightened, thinking that if I don't get enlightened, something bad's going to happen to me. And most of the time, I'm like, I don't believe that. That's not my worldview. I don't believe in it. But if you hear it a lot, you start to feel it and believe it. And um, and that, I will say, that's probably one of the reasons I'm so deeply committed to teaching these practices without ideology without you know religious dogma because I feel like they're so beautiful and they're so accessible and that we you know it's just a gift to to get them at Spirit Rock and in other places without the without the the stuff that can be harmful anyway I'm working really hard I'm trying to get enlightened whatever type A personality inside me that I could have like finished college and gone to law school, but instead I decided to use that same effort to get my, my meditation degree. And, um, and then I, well, you can see what happened. I totally fell apart, right? So six months into it, just fell apart, couldn't meditate, could barely keep my attention on my breath. I would start to meditate and I would just start crying. And all of this you know, all of the, the challenges of my life started to come forward and my meditation was terrible. Like, like, I just couldn't do anything. And so at that point I said, I think I need to leave. I can't practice. I've failed. I've failed at the one thing that is the most important thing to me in my life. And it was horrible. And I remember I went to my teacher and I said, I think I'm going to leave. I was going to go to the beaches of Thailand and just relax. And he said, he looked at me and he goes, fine, leave. 
But if you do, the afflictions of the mind will always overwhelm you. <laughs> right? But he was right. You know, basically, wherever you go, there you are. So I was going to take it with me to Thailand. And I, he said that. And I went back into my room and I cried and I cried. And I'm a failure and I can't do this. And But something inside me turned. And I was like, I've got to figure this out. i got to... And so... I, I was, they had this little library there that was a, like a, um, it wasn't a library, it was just a bookshelf. And it had all these Theravadan Buddhist teachings in it. And there was this one book in the middle of it, the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, which many of you have seen. Now I know he's controversial, but the book is pretty extraordinary. And I said, can I read that book? And at first they said no, because it wasn't Theravadan Buddhism. And I said, please, can I read that book? I'm going to leave. And they said, okay, you can read the book. So they gave me the book. And I don't know, how many people know that book? A couple of you, yeah. Um, and basically, it, it, it's a, it, it explains the Dzogchen teachings, the Tibetan Buddhist Dzogchen teachings, and other things. And I opened the book, and what I start reading was, there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to get. Awakening is here and now. The mind is pure, pristine, luminous. Just open to it. And it was like my whole worldview went, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I started to practice from that perspective. And I let go of all the efforting and all the striving. And I started to do profound compassion practices. Compassion for myself. Because I realized that all this trying to get enlightened was so I would stop being me. You know? That I wanted to get enlightened so I could, I could be a good person or something. But actually what I had to do was learn to totally love this me, this being. And so I just started doing compassion, compassion, and then suddenly my mind began to just open naturally to the natural awareness practices. And it was like, oh, there's, here is awareness. Awareness is my friend. It's always here. What was I looking for? It's always here. And it was a beautiful, extraordinary time in my life, in my practice, and I spent another three or four months. So then I came home and I spent the next, 20 years integrating it, but no. Um, but, but then my practice after that was, a, I would do, a, I did a lot of, then I started being attracted to those types of practices and I did those for a long time. And then I started integrating and, you know, it's been my life since then and that was 20 years ago has been, well, let's just say this. At this point, I love and value all of the practices I use deliberate mindfulness when it's needed. I rest in awareness when that's needed. I recognize the way they relate to each other and the flow in which one can have with them. And I'm really grateful. I'm really, really grateful for even the hard stuff because it's helped me see the the kind of the vastness of the human consciousness, right? And our capacity to know all sorts of ways of awareness. So I want to share that story with you to give you a sense of why I um, am teaching these teachings because I realize, oh, 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 so no, I didn't really answer that. <laughs> I've been, so for the last decade, I've been teaching more in the deliberate mindfulness realm. I've been teaching that for a long time and because it's, it's easier and it's clearer and 
If you know anything about the mindfulness world, that's pretty much what people are teaching. Bring your attention back to your breath. You know, be aware of your emotions. So more like this side of the spectrum. And I was thinking, wow, nobody has really articulated in the secular world this side of the teachings. And then I was meditating at Spirit Rock two years ago, and boom, the book came to me. Just like, I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to write this book. Well, I didn't. I didn't think that. I thought maybe I could write this book. And then like six months later, someone contacted me to write a book. But so that's so now I'm just on this like I'm just interested in how do we round out how do we fill up the mindfulness field that it's not just all about stress reduction and it, that it, there's this whole territory that's so much vaster. So that's my story. So let's practice. Let's do a little bit of um of what we were doing. Let's do, uh, we're going to do short practices now. We, we only have about 20 minutes or so before, before the, the um, lunch break. So I want to offer you these glimpse practices. And in the book, there's one little glimpse practice that you can do for five or 10 seconds or a minute or two minutes. I'm going to string together a couple of different ones so you can see which ones kind of like work for you. And some of them work and so, work meaning, helps you to access natural awareness. Some of them will and some of them won't. And just have fun with it. Like really just just open to this is play. This is play this is play practice, okay? So let's settle back in a way that's comfortable. And as we sit here, we can take a few breaths just to restabilize ourselves and return. Let's turn our attention to hearing. Just begin to open up your sense of, of hearing, listening out into the room. And really far out. If you could listen as far out as possible. What's the furthest away sound you can hear? And now notice your body seated here. See if you can feel the back of your body. So just bring your attention to the back of your body. And then imagine you could almost look out or feel out behind your body. Just feel. So expand your sense of feeling. behind you.
And then now expand in all directions as if you could feel out into the room. Expanding. Expanding 360 degrees above and below. Now add the hearing into. And if you want to open your eyes, that's a third expansion. If you decide to do that, just let your gaze be soft. See if you can notice more peripherally And put all three together. Sound, body, seeing. And just soften and relax. Everything's just happening on its own. There's nothing to do. Nowhere to go. sure to breathe and soften. Your mind is vast. Let's say your awareness is vast and spacious, open, like the sky. All of the thoughts and sensations They're all just like clouds floating by in the vast sky-like nature of your mind. Rest. Rest into the radiance. you start to get entangled in thoughts and just soften back into awareness into this expansion or this image or idea and the thought will dissolve like writing on the water Just be.
So we'll do a lot more for longer periods. But I wanted to just show you some of these glimpse practices. And if you wouldn't mind just turning to someone nearby and just telling them what happened as you did that, as you had that experience. What worked or didn't work or what happened? You can add a third person to your group if they don't have a partner. So can some of you share with the larger group what experience you had and or questions that emerged? And by the way, one of the things that happens with this day is people start feeling like, number one, oh, did I get it? And two, they probably got it and I didn't. So nobody wants to talk because they're afraid that they're going to sound... But please, like... like It's all, like, it's all just, we're just having fun here. Okay. Yes. I had a wonderful sense of well-being when we put all those pieces together, integrated it all. Um, But I noticed that when my eyes focused on an individual item, Mm -hmm. that I narrowed back down again. Ah. So 
It's going to take some practice. Right. Okay. So that's good observation. I'm curious. How many of you here have? Um, who, how many people tried opening their eyes? And how many of you? How many of you? It was the first time you did open eye meditation. Okay, some of you, about half of you. So for those of you who've been practicing in the insight meditation world, you're, you've mostly kept your eyes closed. So when you do the open eye, it's like, oh my, it's like you have to learn how to do it, really. So that's exactly right. The reason, you know, it's very easy to get sucked into, oh, this is a bell, or, you know, oh, I like that water bottle, I should buy that at home, or whatever. You know what I mean? Our minds do that. So that's why open eye practice is a little tricky. But once you get the hang of it and you, like kind of keep your eyes soft and just sort of it, like per- peripherally knowing it get, it's it's actually really I think it's really enjoyable to practice with my eyes open. Yeah. Years ago I I met a teacher and he goes a Zogchen teacher um Lama Suryadas and he said he said you don't close your senses, you don't close your ears, you don't close your mouth, you don't I mean your taste buds down. Why do you close your eyes when you meditate? <laughs> He had a very good point. Anyway, yeah. Wait, give take the mic. Thanks. Um, so, one of my curiosities about the day was was just the way that this practice helps with you know like kind of integration. And just as I was sitting here, um, there was an embodied quality about that practice that feels more inclusive of different mm. parts of myself than, mm. yeah. So that, and for some reason, that just emerged, that that like hit of like, yeah, a certain embodiment quality about oh, it. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I feel it. it's a really embodied practice. Like someone said something earlier when they were describing, I forget who it was, but when they had a, an experience like it and it was both inner and outer, and that's something that happens with this practice. Like you can have an internal awareness simultaneously with an external awareness. So it's not, it can be like, it can feel like it's like a head thing, but it's not. It's, it's a very embodied practice. Yeah, thanks. Um, when, I, when you talked about like seeing or feeling 360, mm-hmm. um, I noticed that I kind of, started looking down on this room and everyone in this room with kind of a bird's eye view. Mm. Um, and I noticed that my mind was kind of creating the image of what that was. Um, so it felt like my mind was occupied in a creative way Mm -hmm. in some way. So it it didn't really feel meditative, but at the same time it did feel meditative. Uh Um, so that was just something I noticed and I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it like helped me get out of myself a little bit, which was nice. Great. Yeah, and sometimes the creativity flows, and just to go with that, to trust that, that's totally, totally fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Is awareness and perception the same? <laughs> I, I was always waiting for someone to ask one of those kind of questions. <laughs> or also, it's a good one, is also awareness, perception. What's the difference between awareness and attention? Right? That's a big one. I'm not exactly sure is the answer. Um, perception to me is that that perception, though that, this one I think I do know. The per- perception is that kind of categorizing quality of our mind. Like, like this is a bottle. Like that's, I'm perceiving it 
and putting like a little bit of a story upon it versus just awareness of it might be noticing the shape and the color and the sight. So that, so perception is that. Attention, I also, I'll probably use them intermingled. Like I'll say, like I'll say attention, I'll say awareness and I'm, essentially talking about that capacity to know. Attention I tend to use more like actively, like I place your attention on, whereas awareness can have multiple dimensions, I guess. That's a way of talking about it. Not so great. Can I ask another question? Sure. So where does awareness occur? Is it in your brain or is it in your body? Or I mean... I don't think the scientists know where awareness occurs. Um... We, we experience, I mean, like, this is such a, such an interesting, interesting experiential question. Because we just had our awareness go out. So is awareness out there? Or is awareness in our head, which is where we typically think it is? Is it embodied? Is it, the scientists, they can't find it. Like, you can't look inside the brain and find awareness. It doesn't exist. So it's, but we know it's here, right? So I don't know. That's my answer. Yeah. More than some of its parts. Um, so could you please say a few words about how Advaita helped your practice? Um, the teachers that I've worked with in the Advaita Vedanta tradition, I felt like do kind of like a direct pointing out to what seemed to me very similar to what I was experiencing through the Buddhist practices that I was doing. So, um, so just being in the presence of someone who's practicing Advaita Vedanta and sort of connecting with their whatever their transmission is in a sense and um and I I didn't I you know other than reading kind of the more like popular books of some of those teachers I haven't done like a deep study of it it's just more like being with those teachers for me Well, it's pretty much lunchtime. So let's do this. Um, we'll be back. We'll start again in an hour at one forty-five. At one thirty, if you decide you would like to uh, get my book, I will sit at that table right on the in the entryway, and I will sign books for a little bit. And otherwise, enjoy your lunchtime. Like just just let the spirit of natural awareness infuse you. You know, let it just, you're here at Spirit Rock. It's so gorgeous. It's right here. Everything. We're all aware. We're just aware, right? Okay. I'll see you in a bit.
Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah, cool. 